0: The text for this morning's sermon is found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 11. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your manservant or your maidservant or your cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it.
1: The institution of a Saturday night worship service raises the question of whether we're doing what's right in urging people to worship on Saturday night and not on Sunday morning in view of 2,000 years of church history in which the Christian church has appointed the first day of the week as its day of holy rest. And if it's right, it raises the additional question what those people who worship on Saturday night should be doing on Sunday morning. And to answer those questions, I want us to try to get this morning an overview of the biblical teaching on the Sabbath. It's far too rich to cover in... Thirty minutes, but we'll get the high points, and I invite you to direct your, to direct your attention with me to the uh, central teaching on it here in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 to 11. Let's read those again, the ones that Rick just read, and then look at them briefly. Remember, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord God. In it you shall not do any work. You, nor your son, or your daughter, or your manservant, or your maidservant, or your cattle, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day... And hallowed it. Now, there are five things that I want to look at in that text with you. First, Israel is to remember the Sabbath day. The word Sabbath, Shabbat, in Hebrew means to rest, to cease. So, remember the Sabbath day means don't forget to take the day of rest. Second, Keep it holy. That means set it aside from the other ordinary days as special, holy, separate, sanctified. Specifically, verse 10 tells us the nature of the specialness of the day. It is to be to the Lord. See that? To the Lord or for the Lord. So set it aside and focus in on the Lord. Direct your attention to the Lord on that day. A day that gives more time, more concentration, steadier attention to the Lord than you have time to do on the days of normal secular employment, which is also necessary. Third, make it one day out of seven. Verse six, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. That's the biblical pattern laid down in the Ten Commandments. It doesn't seem to be of the essence here, whether it happens to be Sunday or Saturday. The point is, work six, take a day off. Work six, take a day off. Fourth, no fudging on the commandment by saying... Well, I'm not going to work, but I'll put my servants to work or I'll put my donkey to work. I'll hitch my donkey up at the threshing floor and I will hang a carrot in front of his nose at 6 p.m. Friday night and kick him and let him do the work. I'm not working. And God says, no, go shut down. Don't put your animals to work. Don't put your foreigners to work. Don't hire Jews to get your work done on Sunday would be a good application today. Point number five, what's the basis of all this? Where is all this coming from? Is this sort of this is an arbitrary invention of God at Sinai? Or is it rooted in something deeper? And the answer is given in verse 11. For, here's the reason for all this, for... In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. And therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. If you want to turn back with me to Genesis chapter two, this is the source of what Moses just said here or quoted God is saying. He's simply taking over from the creation story in chapter two, verses two and three of Genesis A fact that gives the the most fundamental basis of the Sabbath command, namely that God rested. Let's read that in Genesis 2.2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all his work, which he had done in creation. Now, notice that in Genesis 2, 3 and Exodus twenty eleven, it says that God did two things to the Sabbath day. He blessed it and he hallowed it. Now, what do, what do those mean? What does it mean, first of all, to bless a day? When God blesses a day, what does he do to it? Well, if he, if he blesses a man, the man becomes a... Prosperous, gets along well, is rich with blessing. If he blesses a land, the land is rich with blessing. If he blesses a field, it grows. There's blessing in the field. And if he blesses a day, the day is rich with blessing. It's just shot through with blessing on this day. I think that's what it means to bless when God blesses the day. And then it says he hallows the day. What does that mean? It's the same word as sanctify means to set aside to give attention to what is holy. And I think he would mean basically to give attention to himself as the holy God and his holy work. Now, let's put the two side by side. What what do they have to do with each other? What What is blessing and hallowedness have to do with each other? And, And the way I see them working is that. In the blessing, there is the hallowing, and in the hallowing, there is the blessing. So that if you undertake to seek blessing the way God has appointed us to seek it on the Lord's day, then you wind up hallowing Him. What better way to show that God is your treasure and is holy and valuable than to go hard after blessing from Him? If you did the opposite and said, well, i got to work seven days a week because what I really need is that extra money or that extra advancement in the company, then you wouldn't be saying as clearly as if you devoted the day to God that God is your treasure, God is your value, God is your blessing. So you hallow God by pursuing blessing from Him. Or you turn it around and say, what I want to do is hallow this day. So I'm going to direct my attention to God. I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to devote myself to those things that enlarge my view of God. And the result? Blessing. All your way. Because if you give yourself over to God, that's the greatest blessing you could possibly get. So whichever way you go at it, it's all one piece here. If you pursue blessing in God, you hallow Him. If you aim to hallow Him, you get blessing from Him. And it turns out, that the day is a great and wonderful gift to the people of God. The reason given in Genesis 2-3 and in Exodus twenty eleven for why God did those two things, blessed it and hallowed it, was that He rested on that day. You see that in 2-3 of Genesis? God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because... So here's your foundation. Here's your ground. Because on it, God rested from all his work, which he had done in creation. Now, what does that mean? The omnipotent, untiring, never sleeping, never wearying God rests. What does that mean? Well, at least I think it means something like this. God stands back. He's done now. He's done with creation. He just. Stands back and looks at it and says, This is good. This is real good. Very good. I like this. I am a good creator. This is marvelous work. Praise me. I think that's what God did on the first Sabbath day. He just, he just commemorated His work. He stood back in awe at what He could produce. And then he said, come on, join me. This is for you. Come on, stand back with me and just look at what I can do. Celebrate me on the Sabbath day. Celebrate my work, not your work. Stop working for a day. And thus acknowledge that what I can do for you in creation and in redemption is so much greater than what you can do if you were to add on another 24 hours to your job. Join me in my celebration of my sovereign, creative, and redeeming power. So the real basis of the Sabbath is God's delight in His own work, and He invites us to join Him in delighting in his work. And so the beautiful thing about the Sabbath day is that God designs it to remind us of two things. Namely, that uh, when we hallow him, we get blessing. And when we seek blessing, we hallow him. The glory of God and the good of man. Boom! In one beautiful gift. The Sabbath day. The Sabbath is God's way of saying every week, you must learn to live by resting in my love, not your labor or it's God's way of uh, showing how magisterial He is by giving all His servants a day off. He insists that we take a day off. And the tragic thing in the Christian church, however it came about, is that so many Christians only think of the Sabbath day as what you can't do to be happy. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. Bad day, bad day. Surely the original intention of the Sabbath was good news. Surely is not bad news to give your servants a day off. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58. If you want to follow me in the reading of this beautiful text about the Sabbath, it's a text that if you were to read it quickly and you only had eyes for burden, you wouldn't like the text. Bad news in this text. But if you read it slowly and have eyes for good news, you'll see something wonderful in this text. Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. God says to Israel, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my day. Now, if you stop right there, which most people would do is say, I ah, see he doesn't want us to have any fun on the Lord's day. Let's try it again and not read like that. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my day, and call the Sabbath day a... What? A delight. And the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. Now, What's the point of the Sabbath day? Joy! And no second-rate, cut-rate joys that you get from TV or hobbies or sports, none of which is evil, but all of which are second-rate compared to delighting in the Almighty. The Sabbath is given to people so that they will have an occasion to take delight in what is most fulfilling, most rewarding, most enjoyable. Suppose you lived back in Moses' day and you worked seven days a week. Dawn to dusk, just to eke out a living. And you barely made it on seven days a week. And your life was nothing but work. You had no time for family, no time for recreation, no time for delights in anything cultural or spiritual. You just labored. And Almighty God comes down with an omnipotent hand, puts it on your shoulder and says, Hey, I have something for you. Don't work seven days anymore. Take a day off and use it to have maximum pleasure is that bad news that bad news to anybody It's bad news to a lot of people and you know why mainly because God commands us to enjoy what we don't enjoy himself comes down he looks around these professing Christians and he Scratch his head today. So what are they doing with his gift. I gave him a gift for maximum pleasure to delight in me, the most stunning reality in the world. And they like sports and television and secular books and magazines and create, recreation and hobbies and games more than they enjoy me. And so the Sabbath command comes to people as a command to repent. You must take a day off. I won't let you keep working. I'll take care of you on the basis of six earning days. And I want you to enjoy maximum pleasure. Me. And we don't. And therefore, it's a call to repent because it reveals the evil of our heart that we're idolatrous. And that's why people sense it as a burden, not because it's a burden. John said, 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments aren't burdensome. You want to know whether you love God or not? Do you enjoy keeping the commandments? Not do you keep the commandments. Pharisees did better than most of us at that. But do you delight in the Sabbath exercises of holy pursuit of God? Do you delight in meditation? Do you delight in reading the Bible? Do you delight in religious conversation with friends? Do you delight in the worship of God's people? Will you come tonight at six and delight in the Lord's table? Or are you straining ever away from God? Give me television. Give me that funny section of the newspaper. Give me something secular so I can have fun this day. Lay off those burdensome requirements. Is that the way your heart is? Well, it's not the Sabbath's fault and it's not God's fault, brothers and sisters. Somebody gives you a hot fudge sundae and you toss it out because you don't like chocolate. It's not because they didn't have your best interest at heart. You ought to like chocolate. Only my son doesn't like chocolate and that's no big deal. But when God says, delight yourself in the Lord on the Sabbath day, That's a command for every human being that He ever made. And if you don't, repent. Get on your knees this afternoon and say, God, what's wrong with me? Come help me. Do something inside of me so that I love You and Your Word more than I love these other things. Let's go to the New Testament. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verses 1 to 12. In the intervening centuries between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the rabbis just heaped up on top of the Sabbath commandment all kinds of extra things that didn't belong there and turned it into something God never intended. And when Jesus came on the scene, he slammed head-on into this view of the Sabbath and blew it to smithereens. We'll see one of those slam-ups here in these 12 verses in Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck ears of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are not doing what's lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate bread, the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, that is, they work all day long and are guiltless. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here referring to himself. And if you had known what this means, and he quotes Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and entered into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. And he said to them, what man of you, if he has one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it? and lift it out of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, what's wrong with these Pharisees? Why couldn't the Pharisees, these experts in the Old Testament, why couldn't these Pharisees read and see David's eating the showbread and see the text that prescribes work for the priests in the temple with impunity and draw the conclusions Jesus did that all these little nitpicking rules that they had surrounded the Sabbath with, with were wrong. Why can not they do that? How come only Jesus did that? And Jesus tells us right here why they couldn't do that in verse 7. They couldn't do it because they didn't have a heart to understand Hosea 6.6 where God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What does that mean? Can you handle that? It's a good test. What does that mean? What's that got to do with the Sabbath? I think what that text means is the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law, Sabbath included, means one thing, love. All the sacrifices were created. All the moral laws were created. All the sacrificial ceremonies were created. Feasts were created for one purpose. To teach people to be merciful. To teach them to depend on God's mercy and be merciful to each other. The Pharisees weren't that kind of people. They did not have a heart to be merciful. They didn't have a heart to love. Jesus said in Mark 2.27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is for you. It's for you and you and you and you. It's for you, not against you. It is an act of mercy and love coming from God. Well, you can't understand the Sabbath then if you don't have a heart for love. If you don't have a heart for mercy. If all you can think of is legalism, you got to do this in order to get God's favor. He's against us. He's out there to get you. You look at the Sabbath and you say, yeah, see, right there. You've got to do this or you get you. you blind. you blind as a bat. The Pharisees were blind to the meaning of the Sabbath because they had no heart of love. They didn't depend on God's grace. And therefore, they couldn't even think in terms of living by grace and extending it to other people. And so when they saw the Sabbath, all they could do was twist it into a ladder to climb to heaven, along with all the other legalistic creations of their mind. Jesus did not come to abolish the Sabbath. He came to dig it out from under the mountain of sediment that the rabbis had heaped up on top of it and to give it back to us as a free gift. You don't have to work for me. You don't have to work for me. I want you to rest symbolically of heaven one day a week and thus signify your reliance upon me that I work for you And that I'm your treasure. Keep it holy to me. You'll get more joy in life than you ever dreamed. I will make you ride upon the high places of the earth if you give me one in seven to signify that you depend on my labor, not your labor. He gave it back to us as a gift. And then you move on into the rest of the New Testament. And you find that uh, there are no commandments to keep the Sabbath. There are no commandments to switch to Sunday. They're just little hints here and there. It's as though God wanted to communicate, it's important, just read the Old Testament, what I said there. But it's not the kind of thing to put at the center of all of life and get real nitpicky about. So he hinted at the change from Saturday to Sunday. And there are two texts which hint very clearly at it. One is Acts 20, verse 7. In Acts 20, verse 7, Luke writes the story and just sort of incidentally points out that a group of Christians was uh, meeting for worship on the first day of the week, a Sunday like we are today. It says in Acts 27, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the morrow, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Evidently, it was an evening service on Sunday. Now if you pressed me, I couldn't prove it was a worship service. But breaking of bread is a sort of technical phrase for the Lord's Supper. You can read it in several places in the book of Acts. So it looks as though the church was gathering on the first day of the week already. And the other text is 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, where Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, trying to prepare them to have money ready to give to him to take to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And here's the way he gives them instruction to do it. In 1 Corinthians 16:2, he says, On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that contributions need not be made when I come. Now, I couldn't prove that was a Sunday service or that that proves that they were worshiping on Sunday. But it, it hints that Sunday, this first day of the week, seemed to have taken on a special function in the church so that now they are uh, laying aside their money to be used for spiritual services on that day rather than another day. Well, behind that, the real reason for why the church, whether soon or later, started to worship on Sunday was because the Lord of the Sabbath rose from the dead on Sunday. I think they thought like this. The first creation came to a glorious climax and was celebrated as finished and complete on the seventh day. The second new creation of redemption in Christ comes to a glorious climax and is finished when the Lord of the Sabbath breaks out of the tomb and is raised from the dead on Sunday morning. And so the church shifted in its celebration both of creation one and creation two by worshiping on the Lord's day, as it's called in Revelation one, the Lord's day, Sunday. Which leaves us now with a closing question. What should we say about Saturday night and our keeping of Sunday? My conclusion is that in view of the immense importance given to a Sabbath day, a rest day, one in seven, in the Old Testament, and the way Jesus picked it up and purified it, and the way the early church seemed to have shifted it over to Sunday rather than rejecting it, we better not abolish it. We better not say it's unimportant. We better keep it. Well, what about Saturday night? Well, three suggestions... How to view worshiping on Saturday night instead of Sunday morning. One, if you were to come on Saturday night and worship 715, you could view the Sunday Sabbath as extending five hours into Saturday. That is, you say, I have a 29-hour Sabbath instead of a 24-hour Sabbath, and I just give five extra hours to the Lord on Saturday night. Or, secondly, you could say, I'm a Jew. I'm going to play Jew. And Jews start their days at 6 p.m. the day before. And so we're really worshiping on the first day of the week on Saturday night at 7.15 if you think you're Jewish. Or, if you say, all is not fudging with the day of the Lord. Just keep it 24 hours from midnight to midnight. Let's just call Saturday night an extra worship service for the Lord as preparation for, to honoring Him and sanctifying Him on this day, whether we do it at home or whether we do it in this building Sunday morning. Pick one. Where do I get the right to play fast and loose with the hours of the Sabbath like that? I get it from the Lord of the Sabbath. I infer from Matthew 12 that if Jesus were standing Here, he would say something like this. If the priests in the temple and pastors in the Christian church are permitted to work 16 hours on the day of rest, then the saints are permitted to do some Sabbath worship on Sabbath Eve. The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. Go and learn what it means I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I think that's what the Lord would say if he were here this morning. And then he'd say this in closing. uh, Besides, go read what Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 14 where he said in verse 5, One man judges one day above another. One man judges all days alike. Let every man be fully convinced in his own mind. Which I take to mean, in relation to the Sabbath, this. One man judges one day, Saturday, as the only appropriate day for the Christian Sabbath. Another man judges Sunday as the only appropriate day for the Christian Sabbath. And another man says, any day is good for the Christian Sabbath. They're all holy. And Paul says, don't judge each other because of these disagreements. Let every man be fully convinced in his own mind. So I close with these four summary statements. One, accept the gift of a day of rest. Don't be a hero or a workaholic. Take God's gift and command and give one day of your life away from your usual toil, to say to Him, your work for me is more important than my seven days of work. Second, make one day a week a day for God. A day when you zero in your mind's attention and your heart's affection on God. There are a lot of ways to do it. And it doesn't rule out necessarily all those innocent pleasures that I mentioned earlier. There are a lot of ways to go after God on Sunday. Go after Him one day a week. Third, make that day of rest and that day of holiness Sunday. Unless obedience to God would require otherwise. Now, I... I craft that statement carefully and leave it in your hands. Let every man be fully convinced in his own mind. Sunday, the Lord's Day, on which the Lord of the Sabbath rose from the dead, will bear most eloquent witness to Minneapolis. This people makes Jesus Christ their Lord by celebrating one day a week in His honor. Sunday, the day on which He rose. Let's do that. Unless... Obedience to God would require otherwise. It does require otherwise for me. I do not rest on Sunday. Fourth and finally, those of you who are free in your conscience to worship on Saturday night and come now and then or switch over to make room in this room for growth, dream with me for one more minute this morning. About what Sunday morning should be for you. Could it be, could it be that God is leading you to a new venture of prayer with Him on Sunday morning? Could it be that God is leading you to a new venture with Him of a couple of hours of personal intense Bible study or reading in great Christian classics on Sunday morning? Could it be that He is leading you into a new ministry of visiting shut-ins on Sunday morning? Oh, would they love it. Wouldn't it be great if the 300 people who came here in a couple of years on Saturday night fanned out across this city and visited all of our shut-ins so that they got visits once a week instead of once a month and lots of others? How easy it would be to minister to them. And God, the Lord Jesus, who said, It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath and to pull a sheep or a man out of a pit would say to you as you drive away at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning from your house, having spent an hour in prayer, going to visit three shut-ins, this is Sabbath at its best. Or finally, could it be that God is creating a new possibility for people at Bethlehem to do evangelism on Sunday morning with home evangelistic Bible studies? Who would have thought that maybe the possibility exists that your neighbor, who never seems to be at home on the night when you wanted to have him over to get serious about God, is almost always at home from 10 to 12 Sunday morning? Could it be that even though the city may not choose to come to us on Saturday night, Saturday night service might free up several hundred people to go to the city on Sunday morning? Sunday stool classes of an evangelistic nature meeting in homes on Sunday morning because they've worshipped Saturday night, inviting in unbelieving neighbors and saying, this is a great time to get together to talk about the Savior, isn't it? Come on, we'll just open field. I dream with you about what God might do that we haven't thought of above and beyond all that you have asked or thought through worshipping Saturday night worshiping Sunday morning and tonight celebrating the Lord's Supper and looking at the blood of the covenant together.